Hello and welcome to A Future Made. I'm Anna Pajajski and I'm a material scientist and writer. And I'm Robbie Armstrong, a reporter and journalist. Together we are bringing you A Future Made, a podcast by Heriot Watt University. In this series, we're finding out how pioneering research at Heriot Watt in the fields of science, business, technology, design and engineering is helping to change the future, solve the problems of today and make an impact on the global stage. Today, we're going to be talking about AI and gender stereotyping and hearing from an academic in the university's School of Mathematical and Computer Sciences. We'll also speak to a Heriot Watt alumnus and chat to a professor of gender and employment studies about her thoughts on AI, inequality in the workplace and gender roles in society. Someone decided that these systems should have female names. Siri is a female name. It means victorious and Alexa is obviously a female name. So gender stereotyping and AI, Anna, it's a big chunky topic this week, but some of you might not be aware that gender stereotyping in AI is actually an issue. But thanks to new research, we're becoming more aware that the sort of gender stereotyping that exists in the real world is being adapted and replicated in the way we experience and interact with voice assistants such as Apple Siri and Amazon's Alexa. Even if this still feels like a sort of nebulous concept that won't be affecting our lives right now, I think it's actually very, very important and it's going to come to play a huge role in the way that we interact with various processes and technologies in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a really interesting area where it's bringing in, you know, language and computer programming and sociology. And, you know, it's this really interesting mixture of kind of human studies and really high tech um, computer studies. So I think it's a it's a fascinating area and one which has a lot of potential for good, but also a lot of potential for bad. <laughs> mm, yeah, for sure. And I think it's also a topic where we are learning about ourselves and our problems as a society by trying to teach human-like intelligence to the robots too. Definitely. So, Verena Risa is a professor in computer science at Heriot Watt University. She's also a co-founder of the conversational AI company Alana AI. And her work, it focuses on conversational voice assistants, the sort that we all have, well, many of us have in our own homes. And she brings together two fields, linguistics and machine learning. And it's interesting because she trained as a linguist before she moved into computational linguistics. So she has this sort of dual multidisciplinary approach, which is true of a lot of the academics in her department. Think of Google Assistant or Amazon Alexa Apple Siri. So these are all machines which have to be programmed, which have to learn how to understand language, how to listen to voices, how to reply, how to make sense of what we say. So those are all questions where you need uh, linguistic knowledge, but you also need knowledge about algorithms and an area which we call machine learning. She became interested in AI and gender when she took part in the Amazon Alexa challenge. So this is where you design a new skill in something called open domain conversation. And we'll listen to Verena explaining a little bit more now. 
This is very, very challenging. So people also call this as one of the holy grails of AI, because you pretty much have to know about the world. You have to know about current events. You have to be entertaining. You should be funny. So it's very, very challenging to do that. And while we were entering this competition, our bot got to talk to real customers and we were able to see that data. So this is very different data to what we would usually get as a university where we invite people into our lab and everybody's sort of, you know, following the task, behaving well, getting paid for it. So here we have real people trying to, you know, do something on the Amazon Alexa. And we found that we got quite a lot of frustrated users. Our bot wasn't perfect in the beginning, so they get frustrated, they swear at it. Myself and a student of mine, Amanda Curry, looked into this data and she pointed out to me that a lot of this abuse was actually sexually charged. So the people actually insulted the bots not only, you know, because they were frustrated, but they were targeting that female persona of the bot. So there was lots of what we would call sexual harassment or sexism. And this is when I started to realize that something was wrong. I think it's an important question to ask, though, if the bot had been presenting as a kind of masculine voice, would the interactions have still been gendered because then it's an observation of it's not that it's you know an attack on yeah of a female sort of sounding but it's actually more to do with how people insult other people or other bots you know it's more to do with how we would formulate an insult to do with a characteristic that we identify rather than specifically because of sexism does that make sense i think we have to be a bit careful here i think another part of the issue in this situation is that people feel that they can act with impunity you know there's no mm. comeuppance for someone who talks ill to a robot and people don't yeah. they dehumanize robots and obviously that's natural because they are not human by their nature but you know if those robots are then learning human-like intelligence should we be mistreating them and what mm. ramifications does that have in the real world if young boys and girls understand from a young age that they can talk like that to a robot might that then impact the way that they interact with others in in real life and that's something that Verena is also trying to get into and trying to work out the answers because they just don't know yet. A couple of months later, uh, UNESCO published a report, um, a very impactful report, which uh, addressed what they called the feminization of AI, meaning that a lot of AI is um, depicted as a woman. And interestingly enough, especially voice assistants are depicted as a woman. When you look in other types of AI in science fiction, they're often male. Think of the Terminator but then it's usually the dangerous AI is depicted as a man and the, let's say, subservient servant role is often depicted as a woman. Not only that we depict them as female, but we also make them more and more human-like, meaning they behave like humans and they speak like humans. And it makes it more and more difficult for users to decide whether they speak to a real human or an AI. So when bad behavior happens, such as abuse, the argument of the UNESCO report is that people might get used to abusing um, women, digital or real women, 
Um, because this is a behavior which these AI systems just accept. So they're not pushing back. They even used to reply in, in sort of a flirty and slightly encouraging way, which was deeply concerning. And in, in general, the UNESCO report argues that we are basically reinforcing negative stereotypes our society holds about women, that they're subservient, that they serve in these roles, and that we can basically abuse them and be unfriendly. These AIs are perpetuating those stereotypes that we know to exist in our kind of human society. Quite often, as I understand it, the algorithms tend to be quite iterative. So they will do the same process over and over and over again on that data set. And what that does is it has the effect of if there's a very small amount of gender bias in the data itself, then by the time it's gone through multiple iterations of the same algorithm, what comes out is a massively exaggerated sort of result from that small instance of bias in the data. And so it kind of exacerbates and amplifies what was already there, but in a much more kind of stark way, I think. So I guess what we're trying to consider here is, are these attitudes machine learn or are they programmed or designed in that way? And mm. what implications do they have for us as humans if they do go wrong or are programmed in, in the wrong way? So here's Verena again. Someone decided that these systems should have female names. Siri is a female name. Um, it means victorious and Alexa is obviously a female name. Someone decided they should have female voices. And also a lot of the prompts are still manually engineered. So when these systems reply, it's often written by a human. And especially the replies to um, abusive behavior, these were often written by human designers. So this slightly sort of flirty response was not something the system learned from data, but someone consciously programmed that into the system. She also works with academics in the Gender Studies Department at Harriet Watt University. So they are looking at the social impacts of algorithms. And um, she also works with the School of Robotics, um, as we discussed and heard from earlier in the series. And they'd like to look into physical robotics as well, which is really interesting. So what happens when they actually mm. put a robotic voice on a body? And, you know, what happens to this embodied voice? Does that change the way that we interact with it? And that's something they're going to be doing at the National Robotarium when that opens in 2022. So it is really at the cutting edge here. I was just wondering, Anna, do you have any voice assistants? And do you know what gender they are? Have you given it any thought at all before this point? I've given it quite a lot of thought, actually, because I've always shied away from having one of those home like one of those in-house voice assistant things. I don't have an Amazon Alexa or one, like I've got no sort of little helper around my house, um, but I do have a phone. And so I do actually use that voice assistant a lot, mainly for hands-free commands. So if I want to set an alarm or if I'm doing some baking and I need a 30 minute timer for my cake in the oven, that's when I'll use the voice assistant. I have an iPhone um, and so I use Siri. And I wanted to show you what happens when you ask Siri what their gender is. Hey Siri. Uh-huh. Are you a man or a woman? I am genderless, like cacti and certain species of fish. <laughs> <laughs> so 
somebody, as as we've heard, has um, programmed that in. But interestingly, so Siri has said that they are genderless, but we've also been discussing, you know, male and female voices to voice these assistants. But um, Siri saying, you know, fish are genderless. Um, when I did this yesterday, Siri said, I don't have a gender unlike humans and animals or something like that, mm. um, which is actually not true. Like animals have a sense of biological sex, but they don't have an idea of gender because gender is a human social thing. Um, so it's an interesting distinction, I think, between the sex of a male or a female voice and the gendered behavior that then is put upon that by the users. And it, it, it reminds me of something that Verena was talking about, how they actually have tried to explore using gender neutral voices, but apparently half the data set in one of these studies where they said they'd found a gender neutral voice was saying that it was male and half the study was saying that it was female. Mm. So it wasn't really gender neutral so much right. as people were interpreting its social cues, the yeah. cadence, the sort of tenor of the voice in different ways. And I found that really interesting because, you know, we're, we're almost trying to impose societal norms onto, you know, robots and the way they sound. Whereas gender is a lot more fluid, I think we understand these days. But, you know, there's still these sort of old binary paradigms, you know, being imposed on them, perhaps, which is something to consider. Definitely. And I think it's us as users putting our own analysis on it isn't it you know it's those people in that study they wanted to put a gender to that voice so that their brains could place that quote-unquote person in their kind of formation how they understand the world mm -hmm. and there was there was something interesting as well about how linguists talk about how men sort of take up more space in conversations so mm. you know they interrupt and i'm guilty of this like i do interrupt <laughs> that's one of my bad habits <laughs> and they will use like um certain sort of clauses like um they'll just order something or they'll say that i know this or mm. that i i you know believe they don't say I think that or maybe, you know, it's just very certain sort of clauses. So that's that's interesting as well, is that, you, you know, being male in a sort of vocal linguistic sense might just be about the cues rather than, you know, other considerations that we think, you know, we think we know what a male voice sounds like, but it's more complex. The gender of your voice system, usually you get a choice. Um, the default voice is often female. So when you switch on Amazon Alexa, you will hear a female voice. Until recently, Apple Siri was also female by default, at least for English. For other languages, such as French and Dutch, there was a male default voice. Now Apple makes you choose. Um, so the first time you use the, the voice assistant, it will ask you which voice you, you want to use. And there are, um, you know, female options and male options. And I personally like to pick the male option just to be different. It obviously tries to address this problem of, um, you know, everybody has like a female voice assistant, but I don't think it fundamentally solves the problem because a lot of people who have these prejudices or stereotypes towards um, you know, women in secretarial roles will still pick a female voice.
I don't remember picking the the gender of my Siri, um, but my girlfriend specifically changed hers to an Irish voice because she didn't want an English Siri. <laughs> <laughs> so that's another layer to it. <laughs> yeah, mine's is uh, Australian female. Okay. And I don't want to examine it too much. It's just like, I like <laughs> the voice. I like, I, you know, yeah. trialed a few out and I was like, that one sounds good. But then afterwards I was like, God, you know, what? how was I socialized? Why did I pick Australian? Why did I pick a female voice? And I started to analyze it and unpack it. And I was like, oh God, maybe I'm a terrible person. <laughs> so yeah, it's a minefield. It's a, definitely a minefield. It is a minefield. <laughs> but I, th- I think what they need to, what, you know, uh, AI programmers, designers, people in this field need to consider is that, you know, gender is a complicated topic and mm. there's been a third gender. There's been multiple genders for sort of thousands of years in different cultures and societies, mm-hmm. even if you're sort of mainstream sort of Western society perhaps has, has not, has maybe suppressed these voices or groups. But it's important to, mm. to try and think and make space for intersectional um, minority sort of voices when you're programming and thinking about, you know, AI for sure. Yeah, I completely agree. How can how can AI be a force for good in the world? That's really the sort of cr- like the crux, the nexus of Verena's research. What persona will actually have a positive impact on human behavior and human attitudes and perception? The parameters we care about are the parameters which sort of minimize abuse and which maximize good behavior. Some people also call this notching, meaning you design something in a way which brings out the best in people. And this is an open question. It might be highly subjective. Maybe the voice assistant which is best for me is not the voice assistant which is best for you. So it might really be that we have to tailor voice assistance to different people, to different user groups, maybe also different contexts. If I use a voice assistant to order pizza, it might be different to a voice assistant who I use for you know, a social chat or in a computer game, for example. Maybe here in a computer game, for example, I, I do want maybe certain stereotypes um, so it's it's highly context specific what, what what a good AI is, but in my view, a good AI persona should be the one which which makes people behave in in their best possible ways. It's a huge responsibility actually on these researchers, isn't it? And the people programming this stuff. Yeah, I mean, what do you see your role as, you know, a, a science communicator in that as well and trying to make the world a better place? My work has certainly not changed the world yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that is one of the key things that drives most, if not all, scientists is, you know, wanting to use these skills and ways of thinking about the world to make it better in some way, be that through medicine or materials or uh, engineering or you know all the rest of it I think it's always the driving force at the end of the day is to improve the world we'll be back shortly to hear from a professor in Harriet Watt University's School of Social Sciences in just a moment but first we're going to hear from a Harriet Watt graduate about how being at the university is giving them new and brilliant opportunities out there in the real world here's Harriet Watt alumnus Angus Adelsey who specializes in conversational AI I'm a machine learning engineer 
and I'm a PhD student at Heritwatt University. So my PhD is in conversational AI and it's titled Adapting Conversational AI for People with Dementia. Uh, so I'm looking at how voice changes as cognition declines and then how we can use that for voice assistants like Alexa and Siri uh, to assist these people and make them more dementia friendly. And we're hoping to find exactly what causes frustration. When does Alexa misunderstand? Maybe this interactions are not very natural. Long pauses, for example. And we're hoping to try and combat these challenges to make them more dementia friendly in the future. I studied mathematics at university and I never actually thought I wanted to go into AI. I didn't really know much about it. I wanted to go into finance, but uh, I didn't enjoy that as much. And the more I learned about AI, the more I wanted to study that. I did a master's in artificial intelligence with speech at Heritwatt University. Did a course called Conversational Agents. Um, and that was a really fascinating course. And that really inspired me to work on what, what I'm working on today. I worked as a machine learning engineer uh, after my master's. So I decided to do my PhD at Harriet Watt, funded by that company, so that I can continue to learn more, test out these new breakthroughs in science, and uh, at the same time apply it to a real problem. To find out more about being a student at Harriet Watt University, head to Harriet Watt's website at hw.ac.uk. Another fascinating aspect there then of human and AI interaction and how it's coming to affect all of our lives. You're listening to A Future Made, a podcast from Harriet Watt University with Anna Pajajski and Robbie Armstrong. Now, we're about to hear from Kate Sang, who is a professor of gender and employment studies and director of the Centre for Research on Employment Work and the Professions. Our chat with Kate was so interesting, and I really feel like we both learned loads about gender stereotyping in a professional context. Kate's research specialises in improving marginalised people's careers with a particular interest in women and disabled people. So she takes what she calls an intersectional approach to her studies. So she's looking at the sort of overlap between gender, race, disability, class, and she looks at how this informs these intersecting structural and cultural inequalities. So it's, it's a really interesting area, and as we're focusing on gender stereotyping and AI for this episode, I started off by asking her how and why we stereotype certain gender roles in society today. Whenever I've had to go out and buy clothing for newborns, it's so incredibly gendered. So we're gendering people even before they're out of the uterus. So, you know, active little boys with their kind of teddy bear t-shirts and daddy's little hero. And then the girls' ones are pink with um, daddy's little princess. Or I remember years ago, there was one company that had so many boys, so little time for a girl's outfit, which is repugnant, actually, um, for all sorts of reasons. Yeah, we just start that process very early on and it continues. And so what we see is we sometimes refer to it as a leaky pipeline. So we're not too bad at getting girls into science subjects, for example. I mean, we're not brilliant, but we're not too bad. But then it just um, becomes a more diluted and diluted pool, if you like. So architecture, for example, 50% of architectural students are women, but there's nowhere near 50% of practicing architects are women. We see in medicine, which is predominantly women, um, graduating with degrees in medicine, but when we look at consultants, they're still mostly men. 
certain specialties that women are funneled into, like general practice, which is seen to have better work-life balance because we make an assumption that it's women that are going to be doing the childcare and the bulk of the domestic labour. Why does it happen that we no longer tend to think of innate sex differences? I know there are some people that talk about that, but that's been pretty much debunked. We know that there's absolutely no reason why a woman can't be an engineer, for example. Equally, there's absolutely no reason why a man can't be a primary school teacher. And we spend a lot of time talking about gender stereotypes in terms of the roles that women are pushed into. We don't really talk about men as gendered and how men are pushed into certain kinds of roles and it's a sort of far less talked about areas to why there are not many male nurses for example. So it starts off in childhood and unless you've got some kind of way of challenging that and we do know that where children have a working mother they are less likely to hold strict gender stereotypes. We were talking about sort of those stereotyping of certain roles, but what about specifically secretaries and assistants then and personal assistants? Why do we try and gender these specific roles and why historically have these roles been filled by women? What does that tell us about our society? I mean, of course, historically they were filled by men and then the roles became devalued and then suddenly they become filled by women. And we, we call that a feminization. But if we think about what those roles are understood to be in a contemporary world, they are helping roles, they're supporting roles. So you are not the managing director, you're making sure the managing director gets to his meeting on time. Um, you are not um, there to lead the meeting, you're there to take the minutes of a meeting. And if you speak to, I think, any female professional, um, you will find that they have often been confused by somebody. Uh, I remember someone coming to my office once asking for a stapler, and I just looked at him like, Okay, I mean, like of all the offices with all the men in it, why did you pick the one with a woman in it? Oh, I just thought you'd have a stapler. Well, I don't. I did have a stapler, but that's not the point. Or as I've had, smile. Because I'm not there to do my job, right? I'm not there as a professional. I'm there to make people feel a bit better. Yeah, there's times in meetings when it's like, Kate, will you make us some teas and coffees? And I think, I'm actually senior to you. It just kind of is just an assumption, I think as well, you know what you were saying about constantly being the one to answer the phone or to make the teas or to kind of take on those additional administrative tasks because those tasks are so devalued and thought of as, you know, women's work or kind of of not having a very high value. They're then not appreciated or seen as valuable. So um, you, you might be a professor, but all of that time that you spend answering the phone and doing those administrative tasks isn't valued. And so it's not kind of taken into account when people see your workload and expect other things of you. Yeah, and I think that's absolutely correct. I mean, the num- I, remember, I remember very clearly being in meetings. I'm like, are you taking the notes, Kate? I'm like, yeah. why would I take the notes? I mean, there's several people in this room. Why am I the one to take the notes? But you then have to be able to push back, and that's a lot easier to do once you are in a more senior position. You know, But even, I mean, in my own career, I've got so many examples of where there were lots of academics. I was the only woman I was the only professor. The men were called professors such and such, even though they weren't, and I was down as miss. And um, that's happened more than once. And you think, do I speak out and then become like the ratty, aggressive woman, or do I just put up with it? Um, I have to say, in those scenarios, there's always been someone that has said, Kate, aren't you actually a professor? (laughs) I always say anybody with any sense knows if you want to get hold of Mr Bigwig, you have to know his PA. And equally, you know, in institutions like universities, for example, how valued are the cleaners? But the institution wouldn't function without cleaners. And if the cleaners went on strike, we'd know 
within hours. If the university executive went on strike, it would take us quite a while. Yeah. <laughs> so who's the most important person in the institution and who's doing that work? And it goes back to this idea in economics that the more your job directly helps people, the less you're paid for it. And the less your job directly helps people, the more, you know, there's sort of inverse proportions. There's also the Dilbert principle of you promote people where they can do the least damage. <laughs> I can't I, I can't think of a single example of that, Kate. I have no, no I idea. No, I can't that either. That's just entirely <laughs> theoretical. <laughs> We were thinking earlier about, um, you know, the gendering of voices in AI and AI assistants. The majority of those or traditionally those tend to be sort of very softly spoken, quite young sounding feminine voices, female voices. Do you think that having male representation or gender neutral representation in the kind of voices that AIs use could go some way? Obviously, it wouldn't fix the entire problem, but would that be a part of the puzzle? I think it's something you need to do a little bit of an experiment on and see, you know, how does it, does it change people's engagement with them? I mean, I do wonder, and I don't know the literature on this, I'm sure someone's done it, but how did people engage with their sat-navs? So when I first got a sat-nav, I could choose to have a man's voice or a woman's voice. I didn't particularly like having a man telling me what to do. So I think I probably went for a, a woman's voice. So I think the bigger question is, why did these big companies elect to have a woman's voice? I mean, even at the train station this morning, it's a woman's voice that's telling you it's the uh, 12.43 to Aberdeen is leaving from such and such a station. You, know, Why is that? Speaking clocks a woman? But I think the other thing you, you sort of hinted there at as well, there's a class and age element to it as well. But I think it would be an interesting experiment to have... Um, some kind of AI, I won't name a particular brand, but have that and see if you could have kind of whatever a gender neutral voice might sound like or an age voice or some kind of accent because they never have an accent. Verena's work is in conversation. And how do these stereotypes come across in just everyday casual conversation? How do we reinforce and push back against these just in the sort of humdrum, you know, chats that we have that we might not really think much about how much do we give away so I, mean, I think that that's a really interesting question i think it's it's a really good one that you can sort of pose to students especially male students like well i don't want to reinforce these gender stereotypes at work so how do i go about that and you say well one of the things you can do is to challenge them a bit so you could say well i thought that was a really good idea when kate made that suggestion as i remember saying to somebody once yes i thought that was a good idea when i suggested it <laughs> so in terms of how we challenge it in conversation i also think another thing i always say to women and i tell myself this as well is i don't say i think it would be a good idea if we do this i say it would be a good idea if we do this and i've caught myself doing it and then i realized once that the men around me were just saying we need to do this this is what we need to do. And I think, well, maybe it'd be nicer if they said that that was their opinion or their thought, but I can't change what they do, but I can change what I do. So I now say, it would be a good idea to do this. I suggest we do this. Or to back up another woman as well, you know, when they say something to say, yeah, you know, when Anna made that point, I really agree with it. And I want to build build on it a bit. But yeah, I think that thing of conversation and language is, is really telling. And I'm sure there was a study once that said that when women have spoken something like 30% of the time, men think they've dominated the conversation. So yeah, that kind of just challenging that a bit more, I think. Um, but also when you're yourself as well, just being mindful of how you might be perpetuating gender stereotypes as a woman. Yeah, I think that's a really important point that Kate ends on there, which is you know, the damaging gender stereotypes that exist in workplaces, firstly, but also how people of all genders can help perpetuate those as well. 
in my own career, you know, this is very anecdotal, but the only women bosses that I've ever had in working in the sciences, which is an extremely small data set, by the way, <laughs> you know, these women tend to be the ones that are the kind of alpha female types or, you know, dare I say it, even the ones that act a bit like men. And I'm putting that in quotation marks here. Um, and perhaps, you know, that might be in response to the types of workplace dynamics that Kate was describing there that, you know, in order to be able to get ahead, it's in, it's necessary to assimilate rather than to behave in certain gendered ways. It's really interesting. I think one of the things that I've learned from our discussions today is that the artificial intelligence that we're creating is just reflecting the societies that have made it. But I guess our question should then be, could applying positive bias to artificial intelligence actually have a positive effect on gendered issues, such as those that Kate was talking about in workplaces? It's about seeking out these maybe marginalised groups and then platforming them and then actually, you know, create designing the software with them in mind and with their lived experiences in mind. So that's something that could really be, you know, brought to the fore. So this sort of intersectional approach, it's so crucial. And of course, the best way to make this technology work better for all of society is to have the people doing that research reflected as, you know, who is in society. So we need more people of colour in research, we need more disabled people, we need more women making this technology so that it is going to serve the people that it is going to be designed for. One thing I've thought about quite a bit as well is that the, the AI here, I mean, we're talking about conversational AI, but this impacts like healthcare. It impacts, you know, mm. whether you might be diagnosed with, uh, you know, fatal disease. It could impact financial stuff, like whether you're given a like credit limit, how big that credit limit is. Mm. You know, a lot of women get 20 times less of a credit limit than men, even when they <laughs> submit identical forms. It's just absurd. One little um, sort of analogy to end on, which is relevant here, is thinking about AI as a teacher. And that a teacher can mm. be good or a teacher can be bad. And in teaching bad sort of processes or bad behaviours or thought patterns, you can then sort of create a, a cycle which repeats itself. And also by just you know learning from one teacher, you've got such a narrow worldview. So in having like a multiplicity of different teachers with different worldviews and positive methods of teaching their students, it can only benefit society at large. So I, I quite like that. I mean, the, the analogy goes a lot deeper into sort of computational AI, but I like to just make my own simplistic, <laughs> happy spin on it. <laughs> but, you know, with that analogy, I think when we learn from teachers, it's important for us to take into account their own biases and what information aren't they giving us because of who they are. And so this is where science communication comes into it really importantly, I think, which is that it's important for us users of this technology to understand how they work and therefore to be able to make our own decisions and kind of inform decisions about how biased, therefore, we think this technology may or may not be. Um, and then we can work with it and put that technology into context rather than just blindly following, you know, what it says, because it's this kind of black box that we're unable to understand. 
So your your work could change the world yet, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. yeah, basically what I'm saying is that my work is going to change the world. <laughs> but, you know, a serious point is that this stuff really is going to be very influential to the way that we live in the future. So people going into working in this field, you know, there's loads of job opportunities in that and it's only going to be growing as a field from now. So this is really genuinely one area of research that could have a huge impact on the way we live in the future. Thanks for listening to A Future Made. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for A Future Made to make sure you don't miss an episode. Or you can head over to Harriet Watt University's website at hw.ac.uk. Thank you.